morning to everybody. Great to see everybody today. It really is. How blessed we are to be able to be together, to worship together openly, and to study God's word and thereby give him glory. Appreciate what Matt said a few moments ago and uh, as he was leading us through the Lord's Supper. And uh, he talked about how a lot of people, they will remember Jesus in an open way, in a worshipful way, worshiping God and remembering Jesus, what he did for us as our Savior, a couple days a, week, a year, maybe one or two days beyond that. But then he's kind of pushed aside after that. And that's unfortunate. That's not what God sent his son uh, to do and for us how to remember him just a few times a year. So I'm thankful that this is a day when a whole lot of people are focused. And my prayer is that that can help us to not just think about Jesus and about God's love for us in sending Jesus uh, just one time a year or a couple times a year, but it can stimulate us to stop and reflect upon our own spiritual condition and realize that Jesus is our Savior every day, every day. Jesus Christ, your Savior. Jesus is your Savior, and he's your only Savior. But do you really think about what that means, his being your Savior, our Savior, a Savior? In John chapter 4, beginning with verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This was a conversation, and the setting of this was, when you look at John chapter 4, Jesus having the conversation, the initial conversation with the woman at the well, and his really instructing her in a profound way from the scripture text very quickly. Then she goes into the city and she tells the men of the city, you know, come see the Savior. And so a bunch of them come out and they listen to Jesus' teaching. And he stays with them for a period, continues to teach them. And then the culmination is verses 41 and 42, where they tell the woman, now we believe in him. Not because of what you said, not second-hand or third-hand, but because we have been here and heard him ourselves. We can hear Jesus speak to us through the words of God's, uh, through the words of the scriptures. The gospel accounts, the entire New Testament basically, they all talk about God and his will for our redemption through Jesus, our Savior. When you think about what the word Savior means, it is somebody who seeks to save somebody else from something. And that's something that we can understand in a rather technical kind of definition. Well, you, or rather Jesus, is that somebody, and you are the somebody else, and the eternal condemnation for our sins is that from which Jesus came to this earth to save you and me. And all of mankind who has ever lived or ever will live until he comes again on the final day of judgment. Jesus, your Savior. There is none like him. I'm not talking about none, no, no other saviors like him. There are no other saviors except for him. No other saviors besides him. There is none like him who has changed the world 
either before he came or since he came. Condemnation for your sins is that from which Jesus came to save you. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we see both sides of the ledger, both ends of the spectrum, both alternatives, and there is no middle ground. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But now for Jesus to be effective as your Savior, for you personally, then you need to recognize him as your Savior. He can only save you if you let him. He's not going to save you against your will. Some people think, somehow, I got saved. I wasn't expecting to get saved. I wasn't trying to be saved. It wasn't even my mind necessarily. But it's almost like from one step to another, I got saved last night. Interesting. Explain that to me. And then that might be the long and the short of it. It might not really change their lives that much. But... Jesus came to be your savior and you must recognize that he is exactly that by nature. As he deals with us on this earth, in this physical life. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 7 verses 28 and 29, we get something of an illustration of what what I'm talking about. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Those gathered on that particular occasion, they could recognize that what Jesus was teaching and the way he was teaching it and with the authority with which he was teaching it was different than they had ever heard before. Even beyond what the scribes, who they were used to hearing, teach God's word, beyond what they would teach or how they would teach. The Savior had come into the world. You need to understand that he is exactly that for you, but he can only fill that, fulfill that role if you will let him, if you'll truly come to him his way. So the question for every one of us, have you come to and are you faithfully walking with your Savior? When we look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus talks about how this is not just a one-time proposition where you say, okay, I've learned about the Savior, I'm here, all right. And as we talked about, a whole lot of people, they'll they'll say, I love Jesus, I have faith in Jesus, oh, uh," but they don't live a life that shows that. They don't live a life of faithful dedication to God through Christ. And so Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful. Now, that's not just saying I have faith in, but that is an active lifestyle of faithfulness. And that means obedience and dedication and commitment on a consistent basis day in and day out for the rest of our lives. He said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So it's a new life that we take on when we become a Christian, when we come to Jesus as our Savior in the ways that he has told us to. Jesus Christ left heaven and became man, still fully divine, but at the same time human. He did that in order to be your savior. When you think about what that entailed, what it meant, what he 
set aside at least for a period of time to be able to come and fulfill that role as our Savior, knowing ahead of time he was going to die on that cross at the end of his physical life. And only about 33 years old of physical living at, at that point. We would say a young man by our standards and basically by the standards of the, of the culture of that day. He knew he was going to die on that cross before he ever left heaven. But he came anyway because of God's love in sending him, sacrificing him as God the Son, but also because of Jesus' love for us. God the Son. He came to give his life as the perfect sacrifice for the guilt of our sins. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, the Apostle Paul wrote this about Jesus and his mindset. In fact, it begins by saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, we're talking about God the Son, if you look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he was there in the beginning. And everything that was created was created through him. He was taking part in it all. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And this is a particular part of the text that's difficult to really translate effectively, difficult translating from one language to another word by word with equivalent meanings, they're not always there in, in the exact understandings that the original language had that. So some translations will say this, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Other translations will say something along the line, did not consider his equality with God a thing to be held on to. The understanding is he was willing to give up his place in heaven for time, to become human and serve as our Savior. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When we think about death and the cross, that was not like somebody, as we announced earlier, somebody just died, just passed away. Maybe had a heart attack, maybe there was some other physical condition that was unknown by that, uh, of that person at that time. We hear those kinds of reports all the time. But we're talking about death of the cross. It was a brutal, what we would consider to be barbaric and probably even inhuman form a torturous form of execution, public execution in many cases. And if you read about how the Roman, the Roman soldiers would, would pursue that particular form of ex execution, in many cases they would seem to drag it out over a long period of time to really torture the individual dying on that cross. Now in the case of Jesus and those two thieves, they did not have that luxury because of the time of the year it was. And so it was going to be a one-day thing. But still, that was torturous. Torturous. And again, we would consider it basically inhuman today. Well, but why did he come? He came so that he could taste death for us. Taste death for us. When you think about Jesus between those two thieves on that cross. 
When you think about all that multitude of people gathered before that cross, when you think about those Roman soldiers performing the execution procedure, the only person there on that occasion, on that day, at that time, who did not deserve to be on one of those crosses was the one who hung on the cross right in the middle, Jesus himself. But he willingly allowed himself to be put right there so that all of the others gathered that day and all of the others from Adam on until his time, all of the others who were alive in the world on that particular occasion, and all of the others who would ever live until Jesus comes again so that he could pay the price for the guilt of all of our sins. An angel instructed Joseph as he was contemplating Well, I want to go ahead and read verses 9 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2 first. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, because he's our Savior, because he's God the Son. Of those in heaven and of those of the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's our Savior. There is no other. When Joseph, who would be his physical father, not biological, but he would, in the family, he would be the the head of the household. He would be the physical father. As he was about to engage Mary in marriage, they were betrothed already, but they had not yet been legally married. And he noticed that she was expectant with child, and he thought she must have been cheating on me. And he's considering in his mind putting her away. The closest thing we would consider or compare that to in our culture today is divorce. And yet they weren't, they weren't fully married yet. But he was considering putting her away privately, not to bring open shame upon her. And God sent an angel to speak to him and reassure him. And so, in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 20, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, he descended through the bloodline of King David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And the basis of the understanding of that name Jesus is Savior. And the angel went ahead and said he will save his people from their sins. That's why he was born into this world in physical form. As shepherds were in the field, angels appeared to them and announced the birth of the Savior. Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. Now, there were some, there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, watching over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The shepherds were greatly afraid. What is this supernatural presence all of a sudden? It was an angel sent from God. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I have bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What a blessed announcement. 
and not just to those shepherds in that field, but to all of mankind. God sent Jesus into this world for the specific purpose of being our savior. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, the apostle Paul, reflecting back on his past life when he, when he probably we could say hated Jesus, even though Jesus was already dead by that time, but he led, he led persecution against the church, violent persecution, hunted down Christians, and then the Lord appeared to him verbally on the road to Damascus, on his way to hunt down more Christians, put them in bonds, bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and he would even on occasion vote for their executions. But now he was confronted with the wrongness of his position, his belief, his actions, trying to destroy the church that the Lord established upon this earth, sent from heaven to establish. And so Paul, the apostle by this time, gospel preacher, dedicated Christian, he writes this particular verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying he wrote, and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. Not to pat us all on the back and tell us what good people we are because without him we're lost in our sins. And Paul said, to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I've often thought in my mind, my mind's eye, as Paul would write various scriptures and probably at other times what he would just be by himself. How he must have had chills at times, maybe tears flowing down his cheeks. Remembering what he had done before he became a Christian. Yet even he could be forgiven. Even he could be saved through the blood of Christ. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14, John wrote, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world. Over and over again, we read of this identity of Jesus, this mission of Jesus to come to this world to be our Savior. And fulfilling Old Testament prophecy over and over and over and over again in minute detail of the coming Savior and just one occasion. As we already noted, Acts chapter 13 and verse 23 speaks to that. For this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior. Jesus and of the man's seed he's talking about is David's seed. When you read through the genealogies, whichever one you read, Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 3, they all come down to David. He comes through David's bloodline, ultimately all the way back to, to Abraham. David's seed, David's seed. And that was fulfillment of prophecy, fulfilling prophecy. God did that. Even when they crucified Jesus, Death could not keep him down. God raised him up and exalted Jesus as our Savior. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered. The people standing there, the Jewish people were told. The Jewish leaders had been, had been the instigators of his crucifixion. And so God our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree, 
Speaking of the cross, him God exalted to the right hand and to be prince and savior, to give redemption to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's what he came for. And God sent him specifically, initially, to the people of Israel because they had the Old Testament prophecies that foretold of the coming Savior. And he came and fulfilled all of those prophecies. Again, in minute detail. And yet their leaders, and of course many of the people themselves, rejected him and instigated his crucifixion on that cross to shut him up. But that did not shut him up. God raised him from the grave. The church is Jesus' bride. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. We, as the Lord's church, are his bride, and he is our head. Now we could go on and on and on and on, reading verse after verse after verse, over and over and over again. The scriptures portray, declare, identify Jesus Christ to be the Savior of mankind. Philippians 3 and verse 20, 2, Peter, 2 Timothy and verse 10, uh, verse, chapter 1 and verse 10, Titus 1 and verse 4, chapter 2 verse 13, chapter 3 verse 6. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 10, and verse 18. And I'm sure we could even name others, list them at least by inference as showing that Jesus is the Savior. He was crucified on that cross, allowing his blood to be shed to cover the guilt of all of our sins. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27 who does not need daily, speaking of Jesus, as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. When the high priests would offer up the sacrifices for the sins of the people, they would first have to offer up sacrifices for their own sins because they were mortal, they were human, they still sinned. Jesus did not need to do that because he was sinless. Going back to Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 12 through 14. Never committed sin, of course not. But he still lived in this world in human form while still fully divine and still going back to chapter 2 in Hebrews and the last few verses there, he experienced the kinds of temptations that we experience yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, he came to wash you from the guilt of your sins in his own blood. Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, we read, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us, from our sins in his own blood. We might wonder, is there anyone I would be willing to die for, to save? We read about heroic accounts of soldiers, military men on the battlefield sacrificing their lives to save their buddies fighting next to them. 
Sometimes we may hear of a husband or a wife giving their life to save their child. Maybe occasionally a friend will appear in the news who had given his life to save somebody in danger, maybe of drowning and ended up drowning himself. Maybe that person he didn't even know. But those are pretty rare occurrences, aren't they? And you might say, well, what a hero. What, what just open sacrifice. But think about if there was somebody who you could imagine as being the worst of the worst among humanity. Whatever you could imagine his, his behavior might have been, his evil, wicked acts might have included. Would you give your life for that person? Jesus did. So that even that person could have the opportunity to come to his Savior. He'd have to make up his own mind, but he'd have the opportunity to come to his own Savior and be forgiven and redeemed and saved. Matthew 26 and verse 28, when we partook of the Lord's Supper a few moments ago, that cup, the fruit of the vine, represented the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for every one of us. He told the apostles as he instituted that supper, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He did that. Even one sitting at the table with him, he knew was going to betray him that very night. But he shed his blood for him too. How unfortunate that apparently Judas never properly repented and sought Jesus' forgiveness. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, as Peter and the rest of the apostles, Peter and John were, were preaching to a crowd who had gathered after God through Peter and John had healed a man who had been lame from birth. The man rejoices. He's, he's jumping up and down. People see him, they knew he was a beggar stationed there on a regular basis begging for some kind of an income. And they were drawn to the scene. A multitude gathered and Peter and John took the opportunity to preach the gospel of Christ to that crowd. And when you come to Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, you, you read that they, they said, repent and be converted that your sins might be blotted out. All of us have the opportunity to repent of our sins. Some people say, no, you, you, it, I can't. I can't. I just can't give up this lifestyle. I can't turn away from the way I've been living. You can with God's help. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he made him, that is, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. The worst of the worst can change. Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, the hunter of Christians, the voter for execution for Christians, he spoke of himself at one time as being exceedingly rageful against the church. He, even he could change and be forgiven and become a dedicated gospel preacher, a Christian, a divinely appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. Think about what Isaiah wrote, the prophecies of just exactly what Jesus did on that cross. Surely he has borne 
our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was crucified. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sins of us all. God did that for us. For us. Sent his son to that cross to bear the guilt for all of our sins. For us. Jesus willingly, lovingly went to that cross for us. And not only is Jesus a Savior, Jesus is your Savior, your only Savior. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We hear about in the news about people proclaiming to be the Savior on a pretty regular basis today. They're all frauds. They're all liars. There is salvation in none other but Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He did not come to save you in your sins. And that's where a whole lot of people, they hit a brick wall, so to speak, in their life decisions. They want forgiveness, they want salvation, they want redemption, they want their Savior to save them. They just don't want to change their life and live the Christian life. And so John the Apostle wrote, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. That is, does not keep living in a lifestyle of sinfulness. And whoever does, whoever sins, has neither seen him nor known him. Our lifestyle, the way we live, will demonstrate as to whether we are really walking with our Savior or not. And therein we come to the verse that I talked about a few moments ago. Jesus, are you ready to come to Jesus, your Savior? The first step, once you come to believe in him as your Savior, is to repent of your sins. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Again, he did not come to save you in your sins. He came to save you from your sins. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You've got to turn away from sin. Jesus himself said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13 and verse 3. Well, Acts 22 and verse 16. Coming back to that vengeful Hater of the church, just a few days before, when he had been confronted by the Lord in the road to Damascus on another hunting trip, Saul of Tarsus, he had been fasting for three days, praying to God. And Jesus sent a Christian man to teach him the gospel. And ultimately, Ananias, that man, got to the point where he asked Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
Saul had to be baptized. Immersed in the waters, that's what the word baptizo means in the Greek. Translated baptized, really transliterated. More accurately, the translation would be immerse, bury, plunge, dip, submerge in the waters of baptism. And at that point, contacting the power, the cleansing power of the blood of Christ to cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord, your Savior. And that was not just a question for Saul of Tarsus. It is a question for every single human being alive today, including you and me. A lot of people think all I have to do is believe. And for some of them, that's exactly what they mean. Just believe. I can still live in sin and just believe and I'm saved. That's cheap grace and that's wrong again. We must be immersed in the waters of baptism. God did not send Jesus to send us, uh, to save us in our sins, to save us from our sins. God is not in the dry cleaning business. We must be immersed in the waters of baptism and then be born again thereby to be forgiven of our sins. If you truly believe that Jesus is your Savior, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Your Savior is calling. Right now, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He's your Savior. He loves you. For my, And you shall find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. How many people are out there, do you suppose, <clears throat> who are looking for some kind of peace that they can't put their hands on, they can't define, they can't fully even verbalize. They know it's missing in their life. And they're looking in all the wrong places. Come to me, Jesus said. I'll give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus went to the cross for you. Are you ready to come to your Savior? To be baptized in the, into him for the remission of your sins. If you've done that and strayed away, are you ready to come back to him in repentance and prayer? Asking God's forgiveness to be restored to faithfulness. We'd love to help you along these lines as you, we stand and sing. It won't be